0: Welcome to whatever we call this podcast now. Is it? The, this is the cricket one, isn't it? Is it cricket? Is it gardening? I don't know. Let's do cars. Welcome, everybody, <laughs> to the Auto Movie Podcast. I'm Chris Ratcliffe, as ever, joined by Martin Spain and... We've been off on our autumn holidays. Is that a thing? It is now.
1: It's not. It's not. It is now. Um, the the reason being, I moved house, and and the kind of the stress of running up to moving house and then moving in and getting settled and trying to set everything back up again has meant that. This has been like six weeks since the last episode was released, which is pretty dreadful. Um, We've been a little intermittent. We're going to try and do better. We've said that every time. and So far, we've failed every single time. (laughs) But this is a promise. We will try and do better. But we're back, back, back right now. We are. And we're we're struggling to remember our own names, what it is that we do, how this podcast thing works. But uh, stick with us and we'll hopefully have some entertaining stuff for you because there's been a lot going on. There's been a lot to watch. So what do you want to dig into first?
0: First of all, let's dive right into the news because there's lots. And I think the big one since we last recorded was that Carfection has come to an end, which was quite the shock, I think, for everybody, really. And you
1: say that, though, I and I can't remember whether this is something I'd said to you kind of in, in private, but I had been wondering how long it would be before Carfection would die. And that sounds terrible, but I got the impression from watching the viewing figures on their stuff that it was Henry that was keeping them afloat, effectively, in terms of the quality of the content, in terms of the way people engaged with the content. You look at the viewing figures for anything that wasn't done by Henry, and it wasn't as good as it used to be. And they are not, or they were not, supported by a company that was invested in cars. So you and I both know that the best car content out there right now is coming from Haggerty. They have a stake in car culture, in the car world, in people who like cars. And CNET, who are ultimately the owners of Carfection, don't. Carfaction kind of came about from that whole land rush of YouTube channels based off of some YouTube funding and everyone having their own kind of network of of TV and Facebook promising that video was the next big thing. And then it all turning out to be kind of a bunch of lies and actually much more expensive and more difficult and not as rewarding as you might think, and certainly not as easy. And I honestly... I loved what they did. I loved all the stuff they did with Alex Goy. I loved it when they um, brought Henry onto their channel. They've done some absolutely spectacular stuff. They've really, really pushed storytelling in these videos. I think they have influenced the way a lot of other channels have tried to approach telling short stories in films rather than just, here's a car review and, you know, here are my thoughts, here's a drag race. They were different and, and that was really, really good But it didn't seem like that was enough. And I'm really sorry to see them go, but I must admit, I wasn't as surprised, I think, as as everybody else was. Mm. They'd been quiet for a little while. And just in the back of my head, I was thinking, how long can this go on, given that they are not owned by, you know, a parent company that has some kind of stake in the world of cars and automotive transport?
0: It's really sad, because I agree. I think Alex Goy, in particular the last video that they've posted at the time of recording was Alex comparing his old Morgan, old Morgan three-wheeler to the new Super 3. And I think Alex has, is really underappreciated as a writer. I think he's, he's, he's a great presenter. And I think for the next episode, we should look at who we would have in our fantasy Top Gear lineup, because Alex Goy would absolutely be in mine. I think that YouTube can be a very fickle mistress and if you look at what the the viewing figures were for a, for a million sub-channel, they really push for that I know it's it's only a number but at the time of recording I think Alex, uh, Alex's Morgan Three-Wheeler view, uh, video is on about 30,000 views or so but the other thing is as well is that they didn't post that often I mean just, I've got up now Hoovy's Garage which is a He's a different sort of channel, but he's at 1.45 million views uh, subscribers. So we're looking at about 50% extra. He posted a video five hours ago, and it's got 111,000 views. He he did one four days ago on buying a Mercedes SLR Roadster, and that's at 600-odd thousand views. But the thing is, he's posting, in a way, one that is... What's the polite way of putting it? It's not clickbaity because they're not clickbaity. But th- it's crafted to engage. I mean, much like um, the
1: oft-maligned Shmi 150, he knows his audience. He's done the work. He makes it look easy, like he's just making it up as he's going along, but he isn't. He's done the work and he is posting things that, both satisfy him, but also satisfy the audience that he's built up. And the key thing here is he's doing it very, very regularly. Now, the thing about doing this is what he does, quite apart from, you know, organising it and having enough money to buy these cars and run them and so on and making, you know, running these, the the garage and the the fleet of cars that he does and having that being engaging, that's not the work of a moment. And, you know, his on-screen persona is... It has developed over the years. Even as I've been watching, you've seen how his presenting style has become more natural, more comfortable. Um, but they're not the same thing as... Carfection, we're doing. Carfection is effectively trying to do magazine-style stories in video, particularly Henry stuff that requires time and it requires cinematography and it requires scripting and it requires planning. It doesn't just require buying a car, jumping out from behind it with a GoPro and saying "Welcome to Carfection." <laughs> it's not the lo-fi stuff that is much easier in terms of time spent to crank out, and I don't want to demean Doug DeMiro or Whovi's Garage nope. or any of these YouTubers who are putting out content extremely regularly that's very engaging and clearly has an awful lot of people into it, but it is not the same level of depth and prep and care and attention in the the way you craft the imagery, the the words you choose, the edit. All of that is secondary to a man with a camera on a tripod standing in front of a car talking at the camera and that is just by its very nature you can reel out one of those in a couple of hours and anything that Carfection did with henry i imagine took okay maybe some of the launch stuff that they got on the fly that might be a day but then there's at least another day or two in the edit voiceover all that kind of thing Some of the more involved stuff, like his wonderful film about saving the manuals that he did in the um, 991 GT3, that's got to be days in the making. Yep, And you just can't, there's not enough money in the pot for that kind of thing to be, we're going to do these once a week. If they did, if they were somehow magically able to do that, I have no doubt <laughs> the algorithm would see them publishing more content, more people would engage, the algorithm posts it, you know, pushes it further up, people's yep. suggestions. It's a virtuous circle. But as soon as you fall out of that circle, then you really, really struggle to get back into it. I have noticed a channel I followed a lot um and I haven't watched a great deal of his stuff, but there's a channel called vtuned who is an american mm. i wanna say kid that sounds dreadful, but you know he's in his early twenties. I think he started off working in a body shop. He did an awful lot of by car that's been wrecked or you know his insurance job, and then did the body work on it, fixed it up, replaced parts um paint. Uh, enjoy, and then sell and move on. And he quite famously did a McLaren 720S complete rebuild, Mm -hmm. um, which was fascinating. And he was able to post loads, and then he took a break. And then he kind of came back with slightly more occasional content where it wasn't quite as regular as the stuff here when he was rebuilding McLarens and and other stuff. And you look at the view counts on his videos, and they have dropped by an enormous percentage because he's not doing it regularly. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges of... Putting premium content out on YouTube is, it's very, very hard to get high, high view accounts if you're only putting things out once once or twice a month. And that's kind of the cadence that Carfection was at. And unfortunately, that doesn't work as well for the algorithm. And therefore, you struggle to get engagement, which means you struggle to pay for the work to be done. So I'm going to miss Carfection or X-Cars as it started out. And you're right, Alex Goy had a huge amount of, of um, can take a huge amount of credit for kind of establishing the tone for that channel to start with and we'll miss them. But fortunately, Henry has found a new home at owners of everything automotive media these days, <laughs> Haggerty, which is kind of where I thought he'd end up because his style of storytelling works brilliantly with the kind of, pieces and films they seem to want to put out. I look at Jason Kamisa's stuff with Haggerty in the US and the series he does. They feel related. They feel like they're in the same family as Henry's stuff. They are not the same, but they have the same care and attention to scripting, to words, to a theme. They are very considered and carefully and brilliantly presented. And Haggerty seem to be, they're basically motor trend. They feel a lot like motor Trend, except not behind a paywall. You know, the the motor trend from five or six years ago, where they had Jason Kamisa, they had Johnny Lieberman, they had Jethro Bovington, all these, all these series going on. And then they stuck the whole thing behind a paywall. Okay, fair enough. I'll pay whatever it was, $6 a month. And then they went, ah, no, you can't pay for it unless you're in the US now. Sorry, international viewers. And that's a point at which I went, I'm sorry, if I can't give you money to watch the content you're making, I'm just not going to watch it. And yes, I know you can get some via Discovery Plus, but it's just way too much of a faff. And oh yeah, it's it's not the kind of clean. Hey, I want to subscribe to your thing. And Jethro was posting his his um, petrolhead planet series, or promoing it rather on on Instagram. I saw the other day because it's finally surfaced on Motor Trend's YouTube channel, like years and years after it was made. And you know he he posted a comment on his Instagram that said. YouTube squish Motor Trend content now because it went behind a paywall, and so YouTube are just like, yeah, well, we're not going to promote your stuff now because what you're doing is recycling old stuff, and we're not interested in old stuff. We want new stuff. I don't know how much truth there is in that, but certainly, Motor Trend stuff does not get the views it did before.
0: Just going back to the algorithm because I think that's really important, I and mean, we 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 deal a lot with YouTube. I think it was in the interview with Johnny Smith. He interviewed SME One Hundred and Fifty uh, Tim, and Tim said that he puts a lot of time and effort into understanding the algorithm. Doug Demiro said the
1: same thing on um, Smoking Tire podcast with Matt Farah. I think both both Doug Demiro and Matt Farah have done a lot of research and work trying to understand. How engagement changes based on what things they put out and when they put them out to try and divine the whims of the algorithm to best <laughs> you know best game it effectively, yeah. which is what you have to do. you have to play the game if you want to if you want to make some kind of money out of working on YouTube, you know you're putting mm-hmm. being a YouTuber, then you have to understand the algorithm to a certain extent and you have to play the game. But um, sad to see confection go. Happy to see Henry going to Haggerty. We'll talk about what he's been doing at Haggerty when we get to the what Henry Catchball been up to section because that's not going <laughs> anywhere, people. Oh no! You can you can move Henry to different channels, but we're going to follow him along. Like I can't think of a good analogy. Like <laughs> we'll come back to that one. Let's let's. Should we just tidy up the rest of the news? Because there's a couple of few things, isn't there?
0: There are. So the Motor Film Awards were awarded recently. And I find every year that this is just a wealth of stuff that I haven't watched, which sounds really, really bad. It's always a bunch of stuff I haven't watched, but
1: it's always stuff that I then go, oh, I need to see if I can find a way of watching it.
0: Yes, definitely. Um, Big winners for me were included No Time to Die for Best Drama Feature. Kevin Estre, Born on the Racetrack, was joint best documentary short winner.
1: Didn't we feature that one a couple of episodes we ago? We did. <laughs> See, we're not just stupid
0: people that watch YouTube all the time. Well, that's only half true. The best journalism film went to a Jason Camisa film for Haggerty's Lucid Air A Time Machine.
1: He could pick anything from his from the icon series or the revelation series. Anything he's done would be worthy of an award. But yeah, that lucid air thing
0: is bonkers. One thing that struck me with was with the best journalism was that they had J- uh, Jason Kamisa film. They had uh, Throttle House, which is the Canadian channel, which I think I mentioned last ep- episode. Last episode, I think, <laughs> or last episode, uh, driving the LFA. They had one from Car Magazine, which was the Porsche nine eleven GT three manual, which I don't remember, and Car sixth gen Camaro ZL one film which again is not one that I would have put forward for
1: an award. No, given the output they've done, that's a very strange choice, but maybe that's not, maybe that's Confection and the people, the boss people's choice rather than it is. those people who make the films and think that what they've done is you know, better <laughs> than that. Um, but yes, there's some good stuff there. And how, how can we watch this stuff, Chris? Is there some kind of nice link where you can see all this stuff? Obviously, No Time to Die is available on many formats, and you can enjoy <laughs> watching lots of happy Aston Martin goodness, although they didn't do a chase with the a Superleggera. It's, it's just all DB5 stroke E46 M3.
0: So I think a lot of this is either... Commercial stuff, and they do have sections for, I mean, Porsche have got about four films in here. Unfortunately, there doesn't seem to be a single way that you can find all these. So I've just been Googling some of these. I mean, some like best student film tend to be things that are submitted to the jury. Some of them are commercial releases, so uh, The Batman. Have you seen The Batman, the latest one?
1: I have, but I watched it in chunks. I cannot remember anything about it. Did it have good car stuff? I don't remember. Everything was so dark. You just, like, there's no... It's Everything is black, like, all the time. I mean, you know that the Lego Batman song in the first Lego movie where he's just like, Darkness,
0: no parents.
1: <laughs> That's the entire movie is like this. It's just emo bats.
0: Sorry. <coughs> oh dear, I bit have killed oh, Chris. I love I love the Lego Batman film.
1: I love honestly, <laughs> Lego Batman is the best Batman, and I will brook no argument with this by a country mile. I like Christian Bale's Batman. I grew up watching Michael Keaton's Batman, but Lego Batman, as portrayed by Will Arnett, is like a country mile better than all of them because Lego Batman is basically honest Batman.
0: Anyway, <laughs> anyway. A couple of things I do want to call out in the Motorfilm Awards. Best creative film was Race to Miami, which I don't know if that name means anything to you. You will have seen it.
1: No. Is this a Sky Sports thing for the Miami Grand Prix?
0: No. It was it was um, Red Bull. So it's Chico Perez oh, in that New York. Thing. This so is Christian was... Horner yeah, and yeah. drives to... Yeah. Okay. Uh, which I went back and watched that. It's brilliant. I mean, as a creative piece of filmmaking, it's
1: just a shame it's about Red Bull. It's
0: well, but the thing is, look, look, I other can't team watch it. Would have done it. Who cares? It's Red Bull. Wearing our biases warmly on our sleeves.
1: I find it very hard to to be excited about their output. They're the enemy. It's just they're the enemy, and they they're quite happy to be the enemy. I get it, but it. You know what? Five years ago, that would have been absolutely mega. But I feel like it's a teeny bit obvious now. But regardless, it is very well made. Yeah, let's move on. So it turns out that Keanu Reeves isn't just making a documentary about Braun GP. He is also involved in a film or tangentially involved in a film about the 1983 WRC season, which some of you may remember as the one where Launcher basically cheated around half of it, uh, won the team's title, and then didn't bother allowing any of their drivers to win the driver's title, as was memorably told in one of the season two Grand Tour episodes by Jeremy Clarkson. Apparently there is now a film uh, which is going to be called To Win... And that's two. The number two, followed by win, much like two win two furious. I'm not sure, um, but it's going to tell that story of the 1983 <laughs> season, uh, starring Daniel Brawl, who previously pre- uh, has has previous in motorsport movies, having played Nicky Lauder in Rush. There is oh, he's playing Roland Gumpert, who's um, the the head mechanic. Really, I think I'm not 100 percent sure, but he's he's definitely playing the part of the uh, the Audi side. I'm not sure who's going to be playing the, uh, the Lancia side of Cesar uh, Fiorio, um, the, the Lancia chief guy who is a playboy and like drinking wine and, and so on and so on. But it's a good story. It's another one of these kind of classic motorsport head-to-head stories. We've had Le Mans 66 with Ford versus Ferrari, and now we're getting Lancia versus Audi in 1983. So look forward to seeing this. Anyway, let's move on from that because we've we've banged on a long time already. And uh, let's quickly whiz through what we've been watching in our six-week holiday, downtime, being lazy, <laughs> not podcasting. Uh, obviously, last pod we did say that a Grand Tour's next special called A Scandi Flick was going to be out. And it is out. And we've watched it at least twice. Mm, yeah. I've watched it twice. And I enjoyed it. You know what? I, there were various texts from from friends who were like, "Oh, it's the same old Grand Tour, scripted, boring." Blah, blah, blah. But I don't care. It's those three guys being those three guys in their later stages of of the the, the on screen characters that they portray. They show some cool cars. There's a, there's another Subaru that Hammond loves very much. There's a Mitsubishi Evo in bright yellow. There's an Audi RS four because Clarkson has to be willfully you know against the grain <laughs> and. In, there's glorious scenery shot in 4K. There's snow, which I'm always on board with. Anytime they ever go anywhere with snow, it always looks cool because I'm jealous and want to go do snow things in cars. So I mm, I enjoyed it. Yes. There are moments of scripted stupidity. There's a giant crash right at the start where James May just doesn't break and drives into a wall Which sideways. is not scripted. Not scripted in any way. There's you know silliness on ski slopes. I... You know what you're going to get, right? If if you watch this and you're surprised, then more for you. Because how have you not been paying attention to what they've been mo- working towards? This is just what you get from the Grand Tour now. I enjoyed it. It's not as good as their heyday stuff. It might not even be their best special, but it's far, far from the worst.
0: I, I, I agree that it's not the worst, which is damning with the faintest of praise. I almost think it's a bit like Star Trek. They're getting into that thing where... like every odd numbered Grand Tour special is the good one. So like... I didn't like The Last Jedi. (laughs) Was that that your least favourite Star Trek film? Yeah,
1: The Last Jedi was terrible. Although what was the one that came after it? The Rise of Skywalker? Did not like that one either.
0: You're like that uh, that meme about Gandalf saying, like, the Force be with you. Um, <laughs> I'm just willfully being ignorant about Star Trek. Star Trek <laughs> pre-the J.J. Abrams reboot, because I've never... Well, I've tried to watch all of it and just got bored very, very quickly. Sorry, Star Trek fans. Um, so, like, Canard was good. A Massive Hunt was, was not dreadful. Uh, Seaman, I'm actually coming round to. God, that, that could be taken out of context. <laughs> um, but I, I didn't like that on the first viewing. I think the more I've watched it, the more I've enjoyed it, I've actually gone back to it. The um, But it, I think when they kind of do something, I when they do something good, like the RV one worked. It was silly, but it worked. The Cannagiotois, I think, Richard Porter coming back was just imbued it with a love for the subject and all the quirky silliness. but it And it was willfully silly, but it did that thing that I think Top Gear cracked and the Grand Tour is really, really good at, which is winking along with the audience. And it, I always think of the JAG episode of the Grand Tour, where it's just, it's it's insanely silly. Yeah. But... You you you're with them. You're not just laughing at them saying the stupid thing to the foreigners. It's that they're kind of they bring you along with the joke. And Canajetaoir was like that. And Scandy Flick, I thought, had it. There were some moments that were better than I remembered, and there were some bits that were that were too contrived that just crossed that line. The whole oh no, we've
1: gone to sleep in you know in the dark somewhere and we've mm. woken up and we're on a ski slope none no, okay. people are willing to suspend their disbelief in the in the name of entertainment but that's just a stretch too far and then setting fire to stuff and going down a ski slope and and having it look sort of art that again i kind of get it that that's that's their shtick that's less funny than having them just be in a place annoying one another kind of which is or, or or taking delight in the in the the discomfort of one another i'm i've gone back and watched the vietnam special which is i know not one they they particularly like themselves or at least richard porter doesn't but i love it because you can't fake any of that discomfort you can't fake any of the breakdowns you can't fake yeah. any of the things that go wrong all right yes they get on the wrong train deliberately and pretend yeah. like it was a mistake when it absolutely wasn't yeah, but of course. it's just about convincing enough that the, you know, if you're eight watching it, you will totally believe that that's true. <laughs> Whereas some of this, I'm kind of like, okay, we've 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 seen this gag before, but I still loved it. I'm still going to watch it again because there's snow and there's four-wheel drive rally cars and there's drifting. And quite honestly, the best, or well, my favourite bit of the whole thing is the end credits, where it's just a bunch of Polaroid photos that are cocking about on a private jet. <laughs> Like it's Animal House. I love that so much. That was brilliant. I should end every special like that. That was for all the, oh no, the the crew they've got on the wrong plane. That's, silly and I can I can believe that but the, then to to kind of take it that that way further and have them just like necking champagne and being ridiculous in sort of a series of poloid still images during <laughs> the credits that made the whole thing like 10 times better agreed because it leaves you on a high you're you're laughing you're not thinking oh no that didn't end well you're laughing you're you're with them and that's that's the key but I really enjoyed it you know I'm going to watch it again like I said and do let us know what you all thought I want them to still keep doing this While you know they still can, like we've said, there's a shelf life on this, so maybe we get a few more. And if they look as good as this, and they still feature interesting cars, then I'm still on board. Uh, What else have we been watching? You've got a thing in your show notes that says Tech YouTube does cars, which sounds terrifying.
0: (laughs) So there's been a bit of a trend while we've been off that's been kind of brewing. So there's two tech tech channels in particular. One is Linus Tech Tips, LTT, and the other is Marquez Brownlee's MKBHD channel. And in fact, Marquez has actually gone to the point now of doing a separate car channel. What I find really interesting, and it's one thing that I'm acutely aware with us, being that we both have kind of similar interests, is that we have a very specific view of car media. So we kind of like being in the, the Evo world, um, all sort of interesting, quirky cars driven by interesting, knowledgeable people. And it's I find it kind of quite interesting, both in terms of the cars that they, they, they get and also the features and the way that they review them. So LTT... I'm trying to be really careful here because what I don't want to say is that they're not good car reviewers. They are good car reviewers, but any review of a car is valid, whether we agree with it or not, or whether we would have focused it in certain ways or not. I do think that Marcus Brownlee's channel, which I believe is called Autofocus because that's easy to find on YouTube, um, (laughs) is he's kind of getting quite an interesting selection of cars. They tend to be more of the um The technological or electric kind of cars, but if you want to have a look outside the 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 bubble that we live in, get a view of what people see in cars, what people talk about with cars things like obviously you know <laughs> this is not the um what was the thing that Richard Porter was talking about on the collecting cars podcast. You know the thing about um, you know the the steely-eyed helmsman talking about tread shuffle. <clears throat> there's none of that at all. It's like, is it fun to drive? You know, it almost sort of goes back to, in part, the the kind of the the '80s Top Gear. You know, foot on the uh, on the tire.
1: Yeah, there's a degree of the kind of people we like to watch and read and and absorb their content are taking it too far in some respects and this is taking <laughs> it a step back and going you know does it look nice is it is it good to drive but not talking about its characteristics on the limit or you know exactly. cut to a shot of it you know, waggling its tail along some Welsh hilly route there is a joy in seeing what normal people think about the cars we
0: love it's also worth noting as well bearing I mean I mean Marques Brownlee um, I don't know what his channel subscriber count is but it's It's, you know, it's big. He's like a proper OG YouTuber. Um, As of right now, he's posted six car videos on a dedicated channel. There's someone else on the channel beforehand. He has 374,000 subscribers. And two days ago, he posted a video about living with the original Tesla Roadster, which has got 626,000 views in two days. Whether you agree with it or not, whether you kind of want to see the different perspective or not, that sort of thing moves the needle. And that's why I think it's interesting. It's interesting
1: and also is the kind of thing that manufacturers and press offices sit up and take notice of. Because Mm. if you are a nerd who wants to talk about heel and toe and, you know... Tread shuffle. Tread shuffle and on-the-limit characteristics, but you only get 17,000 views on your videos or less versus someone who doesn't talk about that stuff but gets 600,000 views then who are they going to lend cars to who are they going to invite on launches who are they going to get to, yeah. to talk about their new models it's not a difficult choice for them to make so you've kind of got to be aware of what these people do if you're interested in the sphere of cars and YouTube I don't think it will change the ultimate stuff I, I engage with the most but it's it's interesting to note there are other people out there doing this who are not in our bubble it's be it's like you know looking outside of your Twitter bubble or your Facebook bubble and realising there are people out there with, with different opinions on the same subject. I, I want to quickly mention that uh, Mighty Car Mods, which is a channel that I've covered before, I've definitely highlighted their stuff. It's a pair of Aussie guys who have been doing YouTube for a very long time and they are... In the process of doing a, not a whole series of insane projects, but the one they've done quite recently is to take a relatively new Subaru Levorg, which is basically on its own a kind of slightly tedious... Is it a replacement for the Gallant? I'm not sure. It's a large. No, no it's no, a that's large Super Estate. Oh, it's, a, it's
0: kind of. It's kind of like the the is bigger. It's it's kind legacy, of like Car. Legacy. Is that's
1: what I was thinking of. Not the not the other one. But yeah, it's it's kind of a large estate car. Not especially exciting. And they take it and they dyno it and it's rubbish. And they spend a whole <laughs> episode with one of them desperately doing you know playing the Clarkson angle of it's really good. It's really good. Honestly, it's just the best thing ever. And the other one going, I hate this. I hate it. I want it to die. <laughs> (laughs) And then they end the episode by backing in the car they're going to pull parts off. And it is a Subaru STI limited edition car. uh, And they brilliantly back it into shot. And the one side of it is perfectly minty and the other side is completely (laughs) (laughs) banana. You can't see the banana side, but they pull every single part off of it, with the help of someone who I think must work for Subaru Australia. But they basically swap the entire running gear and engine and interior from a written-off STI into this Levorg, because their argument is this is the fastest state that Subaru should have given you and could have given you, but didn't. And, you know, there's even, you know, every single thing mounts up because it's all done in the same factory for reasons of economies of scale and they just chose not to make it so they decided to make it themselves and it's fascinating watching watching them do it they do have a habit sometimes of kind of glossing over how difficult this stuff is by bringing in someone from Subaru Australia to help them with some of the the stuff and they make wiring and look look unbelievably easy when i know it's not but it is wonderful to watch and the end build looks and sounds incredible It's a really, it's a one of one unique car that is going to be brilliant. If you're into faster states, you like Subarus and you like two guys having fun, building cars, modifying cars, then give their channel a watch and give this series on the the STI LeVorg a watch because it's really, really good. Right. We should stop talking because we've got like 40 minutes into the show, uh, which means that we have less time than we normally do to do a film review. And we're going to, finish off our Mission Impossible review series with the the last in the series up to now, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say the best in the series. This is 2018's Mission Impossible Fallout, again directed by Christopher McQuarrie, again starring Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt, Sean Harris as Solomon Lane, Rebecca Ferguson as Ilza Faust. Uh, They add in the devilishly handsome and mustachioed Henry Cavill (laughs) as an antagonist CIA agent working with Cruise's Ethan Hunt. Uh, Alec Baldwin is back as uh, Director Hunley. It's it's sort of the the gangs all here again. Simon Pegg is back. Ving Rhames is back. They've got this now consistent cast going, and this is a a similar kind of high stakes story to the previous one. The plot is basically a nuclear threat has been made against the IMF from acolytes of the imprisoned anarchist Solomon Lane. Sean Harris's super creepy baddie, Rebecca Ferguson's Ilsa Faust is crossing paths with hunt again with a conflicting mission of her own to bring solomon lane back for the british secret service and the cia agent henry cavill's august walker great name even better mustache (laughs) is basically a minder for ethan hunt because everyone thinks that he just kind of does his own thing and causes absolute havoc and they are of course completely right (laughs) but it's very much the end justifies the means in this case um This is the movie you will know where Tom Cruise broke his ankle jumping between buildings. This is also the movie where Tom Cruise rides a motorcycle at high speed through Paris without wearing a helmet, where Tom Cruise drifts an E-28 BMW 5 series around Paris, where Tom Cruise does a skydive halo jump out of an aircraft for real in the film, where Tom Cruise does a massive fight in the middle of a toilet, where also Henry... (laughs) And it is a brutal, brutal fight. It really is. It also features the famous where Henry Cavill recocks his arms ready to get punching again. Uh, and finally, it's the movie where Tom Cruise learned how to fly a helicopter in order that they could do a helicopter chase where Tom Cruise is flying the helicopter for real. How does that sound for a movie?
0: C- can I just say, the I saw an interview while I was doing research for this because believe it or not, we do research and. He was talking about the scene in the, in the toilet where they're having a fight.
1: It's a big toilet. I feel like I didn't sell this. It's not like, yeah, yeah. It's you like, know, it's the, the a family bathroom. bathroom. It's, it's like a giant thing in a huge club. There are lots of stalls. There's space for
0: activities. But it's, well, indeed. and it's, But it's all like white tile and marble and all that sort of thing. And Henry Cavill was saying while they were filming it, there was some move that they did, and kind of one of them landed with a thump, and the, the other ones came. Over, oh, you know, you okay? Are you okay? Are you? Oh yeah, fine. And they kind of like there was a lot of kind of grimacing and like oh yep yep let's carry on. And they were properly going for it's it. It's a and visceral
1: I think, movie. I think one of the things I really love is. about um, Rogue Nation and then going into Fallout is that that Cruz and Macquarie have clearly got a need to kind of put Tom Cruise in punishing situations and to try and make everything they capture on film look as real as possible. If they can't do it for real, make it look like they did it for real, but mostly let's just do it for real. And everything in this movie, pardon the pun, packs a punch. And it goes from set piece to set piece to set piece. I mean, I listed them back there, but the movie opens with an amazing kind of very Mission Impossible kind of heist that that features... Like stakes and the famous mask reveal and the little vocal cord things they stick to their to their throat that came from mission impossible two it 's a little callback mm. to that it then you know it moves on to an, that amazing halo jump which which is done in a one shot where Cruz basically runs down the cargo ramp of this plane and then jumps out of it for real, and the cameraman is in front of him doing the same thing, but backwards. It's like the you know the, the Fred Astaire Ginger Rogers thing. The cameraman's got to do everything that Cruz does, but backwards and with a cam strapped to him. It's it's absolutely astonishing, and that's just the start of the movie. Then you get this this absolutely visceral bathroom fight where they're basically trying to knock out someone so that they can clone his face using the magic mask tech and then impersonate him in a meeting. And shenanigans happen, and unfortunately, he ends up being unable to be impersonated and so they have to go on themselves one of the things I love about this is as these series get on they seem more and more willing to show Ethan Hunt and Tom Cruise is more and more willing to sort of to look scared to show the stakes of it to be bruised to be to not quite show his age but to show what this does to a person the toll all of this this action and these high stakes and the people in danger and the deaths and the potential deaths do he sells it all it's a it's a it's a mega performance it's not just his human stuntman extraordinaire it's it's also all the work he does in selling the emotional stakes of the movie and and keeping you engaged with this guy who in anybody else's hands would just be like, oh, he's just a Superman. He's never going to die. He's always going to get out of this. <laughs> he's always going to win. And and Cruz makes it seem like he might not. And a lot of the time when they're doing these scenes, there is a moment like two thirds of the way where something that will happen flips the stakes and where you thought it was going to go is not where it goes. And I want to talk about... One of the reasons why we wanted to do this whole series was I wanted to get Chris to watch them. But most of all, I wanted Chris to watch the car chase that's in the first sort of around the halfway point of this movie. There is a magnificent chase sequence in Paris that starts out with with Cruz and Cavill driving a truck as part of a heist to basically steal this Solomon Lane baddie away from one set of people so they can interrogate him themselves. And they start off in this truck and they're being chased by the police and they go down a narrow alley, a uh, narrow alley that gets progressively narrower and narrower until the truck just basically smashes off its wing mirrors and grinds to a halt. They jump out the windscreen and hop onto a pair of motorcycles that were clearly there ready. <laughs> and, you know, cruises one won't start. Cavill's already whizzed off. And then you get this brilliant motorcycle chase, which is all kind of frenetic and panicky as Cruise is like, change the plan, I need I need to be rescued, this has all gone to shit. And he's relying on the rest of his team who are busy cruising down the sign in, in a powerboat. He's on this motorcycle being chased around by the police, and it ends in such a brutal fashion where he's looking over his shoulder. And a lot of this is, the reason you know it's Cruise doing it is because The camera is just wide enough that you can see that he's on the bike and the bike's wheels are on the ground. Yep. So you can see it's him doing it. It's not him on a, on a low trailer. It's not, you know, him in front of a green screen with a wind machine. It's him doing it. And there is a moment where he's looking over his shoulder and then it cuts and he just gets, he, he T-bones a car and goes flying over the bonnet and lands. And it's Cruz doing it for real in one shot. And they did it for real with a rig that basically meant that they didn't hit, the bike was stopped before it hit the car. But it looks so convincing that, it. I mean, the, punishment from that is unreal and for a man in his 60s now to be putting himself through this is so impressive and and then the the chase kind of steps up a notch after that where he gets rescued there's a desperately tense moment where somebody innocent could end up being shot because of all this cock up and and cruise really sells the agony of ethan hunt not wanting an innocent to die because of what he's done they get out of that and then they go into the car chase which is in this wonderful kind of olive green BMW E28 5 Series. <laughs> There's some question marks over what car it actually is. The uh, the stunt team are convinced it's an M5, but I'm not convinced it's an M5. Um, they had five or six cars, which they sort of souped up to make sure they could take the punishment, mostly to do with making sure the handbrakes didn't fall off when they were yanking on them to do all of these J-turns <laughs> and so on. But again, you know, it's Cruz doing the driving. He's doing all of these wonderful... Drifts and J turns and putting the car through its paces. There's a brilliant moment where he basically does a handbrake turn down a set of steps uh, and the car does a 180, it lands with an almighty crash and then accelerates off. There's another brilliant, massive drift which cuts from Cruz clearly doing it in the car you know, steering, no crossed hands, no flailing or anything, and then it cuts to the outside of this wonderful sweeping drift and then back into the car again. I know that there's gonna be some trickery involved in all of this, but they sell it so convincingly that you you never doubt it for a second that it's him doing it. It is, for my money, the best car chase since Ronin. And I'm not gonna I'm gonna leave out Mad Max Fury Road because the whole movie's a car chase there, but this is the <laughs> best car chase in terms of the 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 craft and the feel and the storytelling of it since Ronin, and maybe the Firstborn movie, mm. because there's a there's a hint of that Firstborn movie. This is an old car, right? It's the reason they chose it was uh, because they needed something that would let them see the occupants as much as possible. So they needed a slightly higher windscreen because modern cars have got you know thicker A pillars and um, more. Um, shallowly arced um, windscreens. Whereas older cars, obviously, slightly more upright windscreens, much, much narrower A-pillars, bigger view out. And they wanted something like that that would let them do all the stunts that wouldn't have all these nannies that they'd have to disable in some way. And they ended up just landing on this old 5 Series. 1986 E28 in olive green. Looks a bit like, you know, an old man's car that he's had since 1986. But is somehow so fitting for Paris and so cool to be seen being hammered around there like they're trying to make Cité on Rendezvous again
0: <laughs> especially given as well that it's a BMW movie you know BMW very true. Have supplied the cars but they 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 kind of they stuck with it for this old car
1: Yes, and I, I, I have no objection. I think the motorcycles that they ride are also BMWs. I don't really care. Like I think I said on the last mm. one, Christopher McQuarrie has been really um, you know, open in saying, you need partners to make this stuff. And if BMW say, we'll pay you $3 million to use our cars <laughs> in the movie, then you know what? We're going to use their cars in our movie and take that $3 million and do another action sequence in it. I mean, this car chase is stunning. And like I say, it's that kind of halfway point through the movie where you've already had three amazing set pieces that would be the best thing in any other film. And this film <laughs> hasn't even got started yet.
0: I have to say, and I think it's particularly interesting, that we, we talked about No Time to Die getting an award for its car stunts. And when people talk about Bond films, I mean, Aston Martin did a whole fleet of promo things around the idea that their cars were were the the stunt cars for this I think that Mission Impossible does get overlooked for a lot of these things and I think really what kind of strikes me and I'm thinking about the series as a whole now because it has passed me by because in my head I kind of go well it's Mission Impossible it's popcorn fluff it, it's not good <laughs> you know it it's this kind of tom cruise vehicle where well, he is that's fair if you if you fawned over and what have you
1: well you remember the second one that you were all like limp Bizkit and floppy hair and <laughs> oakley's and that's fair because that was the second movie there was that little bit in it that was good but most of it was just yeah a bit crud and mm. somehow, in, in kind of continuing to make these movies almost all against the odds, they've turned from being uh, Tom Cruise vanity vehicles to being the exact opposite. They're still Tom Cruise vehicles, in so much as he's the headline mm. star, but they are as far away from a vanity piece as they could possibly be now. I mean, he's, he's putting himself through the ringer, and they are all amongst the best action thrillers that you're going to see in the
0: cinema anytime. I think the important thing is that if you watch it, you kind of have to... I kind of think in my head that there is a Bond style. You think about the Bourne films and there is a style to them. And if you kind of go into Mission Impossible expecting James Bond, it's not. It's, it's a different type of film. But what I think is, is kind of interesting is that... In all the ones that I've watched now, and what, I, will, I will say in kind of contradiction to this that I was watching a top 10 film list on YouTube the other day, and they actually mentioned the first Mission Impossible, which which we haven't talked about, as being this great Brian De Palma thriller. It is a good um, movie. Which they're it's now going kind to of move gr- away from. The
1: thing is, it's a great movie, and it it spawned so many action scenes based off of that one very famous cia infiltration where cruz is hanging on a Mm. wire and can't touch the ground and that's been spoofed so many times it's been riffed on so many times Uh, the general concept of breaking into somewhere secure and not being caught has become such a cliche that first film is legit great if you Mm. especially if you remember the tv series which i don't because i'm I'm not that old uh it's a legit great movie but it's not a great action movie particularly that is the it's a tense Mm. movie more than anything else thriller it's a thriller but without some of the the set pieces are not as huge there's certainly not the vehicular mayhem that we tend to look for in in movies (laughs) and you know the characters are they're they're different you know they're they're yes it's it's it it's not quite the same Ethan Hunt, obviously. Um, they very much they solidified and developed Ethan Hunt between movies three and four, and basically you're seeing a very an evolution of the character going from four onwards from, mm. um, and then into the Macquarie movies, where they've 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 settled on the character that they want to to show you and the stories they want to tell, and this now more fixed team, and so. Yeah, you're not going to mention the first one because it's... It's It's very different. It sits kind of out on its own, and especially because then they did Mission Impossible 2, which was so utterly different um, that they don't feel like they belong to the same series. Apart from the title and the character names, they may as well be completely different um uh, different things you could completely rename it and and no one would bat an eyelid and they, and i think that was one of the things that whilst mi2 made a ton of money i think that the backlash of it was that it was felt nothing like the first one and i think that was their intention to start with but now they've settled on a style and Macquarie's style is is very much keeping it not flashy filmmaking but very clean and propulsive filmmaking uh, where you can see everything that's going on and there's not those rapid cuts. The The editing is it's subtle, but it's, it it tells a great part of the story. And I watching this again before we're recording this, I'm reminded of one of my other favourite action thrillers of the last couple of decades, Inception. It has the same feel of clean action and a propulsive story that just keeps on upping the ante. One of the things I did want to call out, in that car chase, there are moments, particularly in the motorcycle chase before it, where clearly you cannot have Tom Cruise whizzing through the streets of Paris populated by cars at 100 miles an hour there are some moments of slightly egregious CG cars placed in his way there's a particular there's a megan um an, a Renault Sport megan that's there that the lighting's just off on it and and the shadows where the tires meet the road are just not quite right there's a similar one with a truck yes but as soon as he gets into the car that's completely realistic and I just wanted to call out um some of the stuff on how they did that so they a lot of it is done for real so particularly the stuff where He's going around the Arc de Triomphe in and out of cars. That was done for real. They had the Arc de Triomphe for themselves for 90 minutes at the start of the day to get the light right. (laughs) And the stunt driver, who's or the stunt coordinator, rather, a a man by the name of Wade Eastwood, he basically got his stunt team to just do laps around the Arc de Triomphe for an hour. Some of them were actually being sick from getting dizzy, but that's how they were able (laughs) to pull that off. Very carefully positioned, doing laps so that he could just take a line and know that if providing he gets here at this point, there is a clean line through all of these cars. So for all that I've just criticized some of the stuff where it looks artificial, there's, they're constantly intercutting it with real footage so that you're never quite, you don't get that uncanny valley for very long before you're like, oh, no, this is definitely real. And, and again, with the, the, the car chase afterwards, there's, there's far more there that's real than is fake. Um, one of the things that's really fascinating, the, the Jalopny did a great interview with uh, Wade Eastwood about the making of, which we'll link in the show notes. But I find it fascinating that he talks about training Tom to drive the car in a way that is entertaining on camera. He's very much like, look, if we got a racing driver to be the stunt driver for this, then he'd break on his marks, he'd get around the corner with a minimum fuss, and he'd disappear off. Because a racing driver is trained all their career to keep a car stable, to keep the platform working at its optimum. Whereas what you need is something that is you know, twitchy and on the limit and over the limit. And and you can kind of see the the excitement and the energy in the car. And so they went off and they took Tom Cruise around some of the best circuits and they'd rent it and and train him at Goodwood, at Silverstone, Brands Hatch, Bedford, teach him how to unsettle the car, how to move the weight of the car. And that's how he's got to be such a good driver, which is why they're able to use wow. as much of the stuff in the car as as they can. There's a whole load of stuff. I won't recite all of it. I won't steal Jalopnik's glory, but there, there really is an enormous amount talking about how they were able to put together the, the, the car chase sequences in this movie. And like I say, they're unreal, absolutely mega. Ooh. And then, of course, it goes on and the, they're chasing bad guys with nukes and you know, they end up having to do helicopter chase in, in the mountains and it looks phenomenal. This was done in IMAX. Uh, and I saw it in IMAX, and the 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 aerial sequences feel a teeny bit like a precursor to what Cruise was going to go on and do with Top Gun Maverick, in terms of the realism, the fact that the camera is bolted to a hard point, and you're watching Tom Cruise pilot an actual flying thing. <laughs> um, he learned to fly. Uh, uh, he he. I think they had a deal with Airbus where he learned to fly a helicopter in a month in order to do this, which wow. is such a Tom Cruise thing to do, isn't it? Well, we need to, you know, it would be nice if we could have you in the the, the helicopter. That's fine. I'll just go and learn how to do flying helicopters. <laughs> and so, and you know, that's, that's it. Either way, you know, uh, we're not going to give you the full movie review other than to say this is one of the best action movies of the last decade. It is the best Mission Impossible movie thus far. There are two more Mission Impossible movies coming, both directed by Christopher McQuarrie, that they've been shooting back to back. So 2023, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, same cast and crew, same director. And I've seen the trailer for it. And it is a brilliant trailer because it, it shows you a bunch of astonishing imagery and tells you nothing about the story. It's not full of spoilers. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, it's a really, really well done trailer. Uh, and then I don't know when part two will come out. I imagine that might be the point at which they call time on this, because how long can crews keep doing this? We've really enjoyed going through all of the Mission Impossible's, with the possible exception of Mission Impossible Two, which was a bit shit. Uh, but kind of fun <laughs> to go back and revisit and remind ourselves of what it was like in in what the early late nineties, late nineties, yeah.
0: Um, well, uh, nineteen ninety six, the first one, two thousand. so yeah, one.
1: the 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 late nineties, early two thousands. It's been a joy kind of introducing Chris to these movies that he's not watched, Mm. particularly the later ones, particularly Brad Bird's um, Ghost Protocol and then Rogue Nation and now Fallout. So if you haven't watched this series, then do check them out. Um, Have a listen back to the previous pods and see which ones you want to pick out. But if I were to pick two from nowhere, I would say watch... Rogue Nation, and watch Fallout. And you don't really need to have seen the other movies in order to get into these no. and enjoy them for what they are, which is finely crafted action filmmaking. Right, we have gone on far too long, as we always do. Let's see if we can bust through what Henry Catchpole has been up to since we last podded. It can't be this week, because it's like six weeks. So we talked about he's, he's no longer <laughs> working for Car He's working with Haggerty. What has he done with Haggerty, Chris?
0: Well, his first... Film with Haggerty was him in a Mark One Escort, which, as a statement of opening, is just you know Henry to a T. I think I can't remember if it's his Mark One Escort it's or a Mark One no, Escort. No, 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 it's a, yeah. it's, a, it's a resto mod. But what a resto mod! It's everything that we we expect from a Henry Catchpole film Pauling Glenn Winhall shot and edited the film which Haggerty have a habit of not putting the credits on for things like that which I think is a shame but it is a glorious beautiful fun film and he's gone on since then with Haggerty he's he's done the RS6 Avant Competition I think is the uh, is the full title and he is absolutely picking it up Without a, uh, without a, 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 without a beat. That's not the. That's not the phrase. What's the phrase? Without uh, without, without missing a, a beat. Without missing a beat. Thank you. Always depend on the drummer. Um.
1: <laughs> <laughs> They're really really good films. All three of the ones he's done with Haggerty so far. His series with Haggerty is called Henry Catchpole, the driver's seat, um, and yeah. The, the MST Mark I is the, the the Escort, which is a kind of Resta-modded Mark I, or a new Mark 1. I. I have, I'm not quite clear on that, but if you watch the video, he'll talk about it. If you are into your early Escorts, the soundtrack alone of that engine screaming at the top of its rev range <laughs> will bring the hairs up on 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 the backs of your arms. It sounds incredible. It's brilliantly made. It's absolutely Henry to a T, like you say. It's his kind of car. There's a quick review of the new 992 gt3 rs um which is another sort of kind of a bit of a, a a shoot on the run type thing but a really interesting one nonetheless and then the new one which i haven't watched yet even though it's been out for six days sorry henry which is on the rs4 event competition but i will check that one out too but you know it's it's henry doing what henry does which is always hugely hugely enjoyable Always more considered than maybe some of the other reviews you might see. Always with a, an interesting and unique take. So please, please, please go check them out on Haggerty. Um, there's already some some big views on these. We're looking at well over two hundred thousand on every one of these videos so far. So you know, long may that continue.
0: Should we go for our picks? Yeah, let's let's do our YouTube picks channel and a video from me, uh, from you, please. My video is another Haggerty one. I picked this for kind of a couple of reasons. One, this is Larry Chen talking about the person behind the RWB empire. So this is Nakai-san, who, if you know RWB, if you don't, if you see a 911 with comedy over fenders, huge rear wing, stretch tyres, chances are it's an RWB. And they are basically all built by one guy in Japan who smokes like a a chimney and drinks Stella in huge quantities. It's kind of interesting because Larry Chen took over the... I was going to say autofocus. I don't know if it's still called autofocus, but it used to be the autofocus uh, channel on Hoonigan. And he then started doing his own content. He's now doing content as well for Haggerty, which is kind of a similar style. But if uh, for a photographer... For somebody who you think is kind of a very behind the, the 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 lens kind of person, his knowledge and his his personality, his affability is immense, and he's a great person for doing interviews and for for talking about things. But because he is, he's a
1: petrol head. It's as simple as
0: that. He's not just a photographer. He's a petrol head. But- he has a view on it.
1: I don't want to use the word scene, but he has a view on it from a slightly different angle mm. than, you know, your hardcore, like your, you know, your Henry Catchables or your Dickie Medans or your Jethro Bovingdons or so on. He comes at it from a different angle, a very visual angle, a slightly more, um, grassroots type of angle uh, uh, being more welcoming to modified cars of all shapes and sizes you remember he's done so many amazing shoots on speed hunters um i think there is a real degree of of that kind of grassroots love for anything love for anything that you've made yourself love for personality coming through in people's cars and not just being overly enamored with the car itself as it came from the factory and and just l- loving people putting themselves into the car. There's a lot of that from him.
0: But I think also there's a thing that comes from being a photographer where you are presenting the subject. And I, I know that sounds like a basic sort of thing, but I see a lot of people on YouTube across all genres, this isn't just a car thing, who make their content about them instead of going, look, here's a thing, here's a person, here's a place... Here's the thing. This is the interesting thing. I am merely just helping you to enjoy it. That's what Larry Chen does really, really well. And even, I mean, he's done a lot of stuff because he's a Canon, I think, Explorer of Light, which is their ambassador program. He's done videos about the R3. He's done the videos about his his process. And he's very good at talking about what he does as a photographer. And my God, I mean, he puts those cameras through some some beatings, but he he has that ability, and we talked about it in the last episode where Henry Capwell was talking to um, uh, Andreas Preuninger about setting the stage and then stepping back. And I think even if you don't like the cars, even if you're not into that world, this is a really good video to kind of be guided into it. And I think that's kind of what makes it really accessible. My channel is something quite new. And when I say new, it's not just new as in they have 2 billion subscribers already. It's actually quite new. It's The Last Lap Podcast. I've been really interested in their stuff so far because they do two things. One is they do, they interview people around Formula One, but people who you may not have seen thus far. And like... You know whether it's engine mode eleven off Twitter, who was like an ex Red Bull engineer or journalists or you know all sorts of people in the in the industry. It's good, watchable, interesting content. Again, something a bit different from you know the the race and the kind slightly more authoritative journalistic bent. The other thing that they do, we were talking earlier about YouTube. We were talking earlier about how to sort of get YouTube engagement. They do the thing that all podcasts should do, and we don't, which is they are really good at clipping out five, six, eight, ten minute portions of an interview and packaging it and posting it. So it's the sort of thing that if you follow F1, you've probably had some of their stuff kind of littered through their feed, but they're doing it really well. They've got really high production values. They've got people with sort of YouTube and F1 experience, and it's... It's good, it's worth a watch, and I'm looking forward to where it goes. What about you? What's of your recent picks been? <laughs> well, Sorry, I just I see- down. I've just I've seen yours.
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's just seen my show notes. So this is a, a, an all Larry Chen, all of the time fest, uh, because I've chosen a video that was sent to me my uh, friend of the show, Chris Frew, who often sends really cool stuff through. So thanks for that. This is Larry Chen explaining the secrets to Luftgekult's success. This is, again, part of his series with Haggerty. This is a a, a a quite a lengthy video talking to Patrick Long, the founder of the Cult, air-cooled celebrations that go on in the US. I don't know that we've had one in the UK.
0: Uh, there have been at have been- uh, Bistro,
1: I think. They've done one at Bista. But they're mostly in the US. They're sort of a celebration of all things air-cooled, and they are very carefully curated for the visuals as much as the cars there. And and obviously Larry goes into detail talking about that. And you get some of his glorious photography, lots of explanation about the 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 formation of Luftgekult and why. Patrick Long, a Porsche factory driver, Le Mans winner, Daytona 24-hour winner. Why he chose to do it, and it's a really interesting look at something that I have not really encountered. I am a child of the water-cooled Porsche generation. Really, I kind of my love for Porsche came out with a 996. So this is all a teeny bit alien to me, and and fascinating for that. So, yeah, another Larry Chen joint. Please watch both of them. You know, you kind of get two opposing sides of the Porsche world there with the kind of bizarrely over-pumped RWB arches and gigantic wings and and that kind of, that very particular look. And then you get the, the almost... Fetishist stuff for air-cooled stuff with Luftgekult. Um, That's worth a look. And for the channel, I've chosen Jason Camise's official channel uh, because I just wanted to watch some stuff from him, so I stuck it into YouTube. And he has a channel where he's been posting some of his older work with Motor Trend, some of the stuff we did uh, with Ignition, reviews of cars, and it's all superb because much like Henry, he has a real feel for telling a story in a film and a real feel for injecting his own personality into the Into these short pieces, and it's full of great, great stuff from the archives that maybe you can't get because it's not on YouTube or you couldn't get because it was on Motor Trend. Really, really worth watching some of his older stuff. So do check that out. And with that, I think we should probably wrap this one up. So let's see if I remember the ending spiel. Please (laughs) share the podcast with your friends, like, subscribe all that good youtube stuff. If you want to get hold of us, you can email comments at automoviepodcast.com. You can tag us at automoviepod on Twitter. Do let us know if you've enjoyed this series of Mission Impossible movies. I think we're going to do something slightly different for the next one. I have some ideas, but if you've got some films that you think we should review, either stuff we may have looked at really early on in the podcast that we should go back to, or films we haven't looked at at all, please let us know because it's always good to have outside outside influences rather than us just going and disappearing up our own backsides on rare stuff that you've never heard of <laughs> that turns out to be shit. Uh, let's not do all that. Good. So, All good, yes. So if there's anything you think we should be looking at, then please do let us know. Uh, and please share the word of the podcast. We promise we will start posting them more regularly now. <laughs> there's, there's nothing else to do. It's house moves, done. Done. You know, it's getting into wintertime. Illness is done. Holiday's done. We'll be we'll be back and in your ears slightly more regularly. Uh, so with that, I think we're all going to go hop on a BMW motorcycle and go racing across the streets of Paris only to strike the side of a Peugeot 208 and go flying off <laughs> into the street.
0: Until next time,
1: everyone.